0: Yes, thank you so much for all the encouragement and the support that we have felt from you as a congregation for the time that we were away. And it is truly a blessing to be here again this morning to stand with you and to just worship together again. Um, I do want to say some word of thanks from Anna and I to, work, to you as a congregation for the um, the time that we were able to take office. It was actually July 9th that we... Uh, took time off, what we call a sabbatical, and for some people that may be strange, may be different, may be not clear why in the world would a preacher need to take time off, and I'm not saying everybody has to, it's not a written law or anything, but Sabbath rest is a biblical principle, and I've come to realize in my own life how important it is that I actually do that, not just talk about it, <clears throat> but take a break here and there. And our conference recommends it. They highly, highly emphasize it. And so this church was in support of that, especially the leadership team. And we were very thankful that this leadership team was behind us in that. And so we took three months off. I have to confess, however, I didn't take completely off. There were a few times when people called, uh, even out of province, a couple called and said, can we come and just talk to you for a little bit? We're in Ontario. We just need somebody to talk to. I said, sure, why not? Anna's working this morning and uh, the next few days, whatever the case was. And so, and then, and then after the first visit, can we come one more time? Yes, you can come one more time. And so I didn't take completely off. And there were a few cases, times when somebody just desperately needed help, and so I did. But at the same time, Yes, I did t- take time off, did some crazy stuff. Um, some of you know this already, but I, I'm not a motorcycle guy, but now I am. And, <laughs> and so I did some crazy stuff, and I just really enjoyed stretching myself in ways I've never stretched myself before. Um, the last two weeks of our time off, Anna and I were privileged to go to Colorado Springs and sit in in the counseling ministry they have there and just watch some closed circuit monitors, some some very touching Experiences that went, we went through with some people there—we just watched, of course—but it was in, very interesting to see some things happen there. Went up, uh, did, did a bit of vacation there too. Yet went up Pike's Peak, and it would never been that high in our in our lives before, outside of an airplane, and so that was good too. We're back, and what I want to say before I start my sermon this morning is that. When, when we started pastoring here in, in 2012, and I know how many of you remember that some of you didn't even come here back at the time, but I did make a comment about me sounding like a broken record after a while, relationships. That is so central, so key to the heart of God, relationships. That's why Jesus died. That's why He came. That's what it's about. And I want to keep emphasizing and pushing this. That's what God's will is for us as church, as community, as people of God relationships. Love one another. Love one another. And with our difference in our various gifts and abilities and skills and talents that he's blessed us with, that's how we express it and how we live it out. So I just want to make that comment. And incidentally, also today is what we call Thanksgiving Day. In our country, we celebrate Thanksgiving, and I've simply titled my, my, uh, my sermon this morning, I simply titled it, Have an Attitude of Gratitude. I may have given the title wrong when I sent it out, I'm not sure if I did or not, I thought I had, but it says, A Reason to be Thankful fits as well, so that's good. We are in the season of Thanksgiving, and it's good for us to reflect on what we've been blessed with. Throughout the year, and we should do this every day, right? We shouldn't just wait once a year and now start counting our blessings and it could get done that and now we can go on with life. No, it's the truth of the matter is thankfulness is a command from God that we should live out daily. And yes, we will have Thanksgiving dinners and this is a long weekend. People will be celebrating and all those good things. And it's true. Any grumpy grouch can sit down and do a Thanksgiving dinner. But that's not what this is about. It's about really internalizing and and asking, what do I need to be thankful for? And sometimes people may wonder, well, what's the big deal? Why is this so critical? Why is this so important? Unthankful people don't live well. It doesn't matter if you're an old person, a young person, a rich person, a poor person. Unthankful people don't live well. And we would tend to think that, well, if my life is nice, if I have a nice job, my family loves me, and i got good friends, and i got a good income, and I'm healthy, then I have lots to be thankful for, right? Of course, yeah, you do. But what if that is not the case? What if your life is not, you're not rich, and you're not healthy, and you don't have a lot of friends, and you are lonely? And there's a lot of pain. Should you be thankful then too? Is it harder to be thankful in the hard times than the good times? I just want to um, say something here that just came to me as I was getting ready to speak this morning. And I wrote it in my bulletin here. And I just want to leave that with you this morning as well. The presence of pain does not mean the absence of gratitude. The presence of pain does not mean the absence of gratitude. Think of Job. How much he lost. How much he suffered. And he was still thankful. And we would think that if life gets better, I'm going to be more thankful. I mean, I'm going to have a good, better time. I'll be more thankful, right? Well, our world does not reflect that. Sorry, folks. Our world does not reflect that. In fact, if you go online, I'm not saying you should do this, but you study this stuff, people are not becoming more thankful as we're becoming wealthier. Our country is getting wealthier. We have better jobs. We make more money. We're better connected. We have social media, more technology. We have more ways of dealing with more kinds of diseases and more sickness. Now are we becoming a more thankful culture, a more thankful society. That is not the case. The studies bear that out. In fact, we're increasingly becoming fearful and worried and anxious and frustrated and, and 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 stressed out and more depressed. That's what this world is coming to. And 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 I'm not saying here I'm I'm trying to blame people if they're on on uh, on on medication for depressions things like that, but. The the, uh, the studies show that the med- in the medical field, people are more and more being going on to all kinds of medication just to deal with life, to deal with struggles. What's happening to gratitude? People are medicating just to be able to cope and handle life. I'm not bashing medic medication for mental illness. Don't get me wrong, but there's a there's a there's a crisis out there. What if we all could live Lives of gratitude. Maybe leave aside the alcohol and the drugs to numb the worry, the fear, and the pain. Instead, be thankful. Be encouraged. We serve a living God. I'm not trying to be flippant or insensitive here. What would happen if we would, as the Bible tells us to do, be thankful for God's blessings? Let's just ask for a moment can a person be thankful toward God and fearful God will not meet all their needs? And if you you have a hard time wrapping your mind around this concept, let me just put it in very simple language. Let's say you have a three-year-old child. And the child one day comes and says, Mommy, I'm so thankful for the food you put on the table, for the clothes you provide for me, for the nice warm bed I have too. But Mommy, will there be there tomorrow? Will you have food for me tomorrow? Will there be be clothes for me tomorrow? He'll say, come on, what's the matter with you? Don't you understand? And rightfully so, the parent would wonder, what's wrong with my child? Why is my child doubting my generosity, my ability, my, my competence? Why is my child not... Is it any less with God? He's promised he will sustain us. He hasn't promised a trouble-free ride, but he's promised to be with us. Jesus himself says, If earthly parents... Know how to give good gifts to their children. Will not your Father in Heaven give good, give good gifts to those who ask Him? And again, I'm not talking about here about uh, an easy, trouble-free lifestyle. But this relationship, this connection that He alone can give which sustains us. In fact, I want to go a little bit further. I'll simply say this. If our relationship with God is healthy, we will be thankful. Let me repeat that. If our relationship with God is healthy, we will Be thankful. And again, I'm not saying we will not face struggles or challenges or problems. But if our relationship with God is good, we will just be thankful people. And that will work itself out in whatever talents and and gifts God has blessed us with. And again, it's not something we do only when life is easy and good. Perhaps you're here this morning and you say, well, that's not me. I just don't feel thankful. I'm not here to judge you. You maybe have struggles that I just don't know anything about. And you cannot honestly say you're thankful. It's okay. God already knows. But you're in the right place. You've come to the right place. My desire, my prayer for you this morning is that you will catch a vision of Jesus. Get to see Him. He can take the pain. He'll share the pain. And He'll bring you peace in it. The world wants us to become frustrated, anxious, depressed, worried, fearful, and then just destroy us. God wants to heal us, sustain us, and, and, and help us to live that image that he's designed us to be. And we are commanded to give thankfulness. We're going to be reading a scripture passage this morning in a few minutes, and I'll ask you to turn to it, and well, we'll have it on PowerPoint, but I'll ask you to, to go with me in a few minutes. But before I read this, I just want to make a few comments about it. In the bulletin that says we're going to be reading Psalm chapter 118, it's true, that's what we plan to read, but before we go there, I want to make a few comments about that passage. Actually, Psalm 113, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, if you read those psalms, they're called praise psalms. There's a word for that which I can't pronounce properly, but they're called praise psalms. The Jews, the Hebrews, they would use these psalms as worship at festival occasions and special events and One commentator says in the Gospel of Matthew, when it says Matthew 26 verse 30, I haven't got this on here, but it says that during the last supper when Jesus was getting ready to go to the garden where he was going to pray and then he was going to be arrested and and he was going to be tortured and crucified. During that supper time, just after supper, before they left for the garden, it says that they sang a hymn and then they left and went to the garden. One commentator was very convinced that this was actually the psalm that Jesus would have sung in that Last Supper. I find that incredible, amazing, that this would be a praise song that Jesus would sing just before he was going to pay the ultimate price for humanity's sin. I'm not saying that he did sing that. This commentator says that Jesus did. Um... Uh, was a sermon I listened to. And there's others who say the same thing, that this would have been part of the worship that Jesus or the disciples or the Jews, at whatever time in their lives, they would have used this as worship during that time. And we know what happened during the Last Supper. It was actually Jesus' um, goodbye, or Jesus' um, giving the, the disciples the, the final lesson that he would give them while, while on this earth before he would go to heaven. Before he would die and then be crucified and then later on go to heaven. Let's read Psalm chapter 118, beginning verse 1 to verse 4. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, His faithful love endures forever. This was part of Jewish scripture, and we believe and know that scripture is for all of us as well. It's a command from God to focus on who He is, what He is. What is so interesting about this passage is it's unconditional. The command is given to everybody with no conditions. Wouldn't it be interesting if the command was like, give thanks to the Lord once he prospers you. Give thanks to the Lord once the problem is removed. Give thanks to the Lord when your life straightens out. That's not what it says. Give thanks to the Lord, all people, his faithful love endures forever. That's the focus. Our devotion to God, our thanksgiving is not based on how well life is working out for us. How healthy or sick, rich or poor, whatever else may be, it is not based on that. How popular or isolated, how accepted or rejected, we're told to praise God. His love endures forever. It's an attitude of thanksgiving. It's foundational. It's key. In case you may think, well, yeah, it's good for him to say, I mean, easy for him to talk, who knows, his life was easy, his life was safe, he was secure, he had it good, right? Well, let's continue reading. Let's read verse 5 to 9. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Right next to having just said, his faithful love endures forever, he admits his problems. He highlights them. And he tells us what he did with them. He brought them to God. There's recognition and acceptance of hardship and hard times. He admits that life does not always work out, but he brings it to God. Research and studies show the most contented people, the happiest people, The most grateful people are not the ones in the upper brackets of society. They're just average, ordinary folks. And not necessarily even in the rich countries. It's a heart thing. And when the psalmist here says that he was in distress and he prayed, things did not necessarily always change. For instance, the Jews, when these words were written, they didn't always have it easy. Later in the time of Jesus, when he would have sang these psalms, they didn't even have freedom They had it bad. They were under foreign rulers. They had to pay taxes to foreign powers. And if we think of Jesus as a man, he was a human being just like we are. If we think of him as a man, was he a free man? How could he have sung this psalm? And we would have to say, never was there any man who was more free than Jesus himself. He prayed the same prayers the Jews prayed. He surrendered himself completely to the Father's will. Even though his life was extremely difficult, Hebrews tells us he was tempted in every way as we are, except without sin. He was free and he was secure in his father. The psalmist speaks of having no fear. And I've got to be honest with you. I'm not sure how to apply this because I have fear sometimes. Then I have to confess. I have to go to Jesus again. And God does not judge us for having fear. He doesn't rebuke us for it. Oh, you have little faith, he says to the disciples sometimes. But he doesn't reject us. He rescues us out of it. And even Jesus, when he was praying in the garden, he had great sorrow. He prayed for God to take the suffering away from him, but he surrendered in the suffering. It says an angel came and strengthened him. What I want to point out is that no matter how difficult life becomes, gratitude remains foundational. Jesus never shifted his focus. No matter what happened. And if we, if you we, um, think of this passage in verse 7 here. He focuses attention on God and looks to God for help. And he says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than in people. We forget that sometimes. If I only get so and so here, so and so involved, so and so to do this, yeah, sure, we need to get people's help, that's true, but ultimately we need Jesus. Ultimately we need God. That's big. If we're going to be thankful, it will not be possible if our foundation, if our point of reference is the things of this world, the temporal stuff, what people can do and that's it. And it's sad when people look to people for their security, for their identity, for their hope. The psalmist says he looks to God. And when we stop looking to God, that's when it gets really bad. Our trust as children of God is not based on what people can or can't do. Our trust is in God and our relationship with Him. For the psalmist, it actually gets worse. Let's read verse 10 to 13. He says, Though hostile nations surround me, I destroyed them with authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded me and attacked me, but I destroyed them with all the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. There's a few things we need to remember in this psalm. When this was written back in the days of Israel, possibly King David who may have written this, that was a geographical, political kingdom like any kingdom. They were their own nation, a nation to protect and defend and so on. But it didn't always stay that way. And later the Jews lost their kingdom and even though this was perhaps physical in the sense of when it was written, there's a far deeper, far larger meaning here. The enemies we face today are not physical. That may be in the political world, but you and I, we face a different enemy. Paul talks about in Ephesians, he says, our enemy is the spiritual realm, the, the, the demonic world, powers of, this, of the darkness. And yes, we too can, with God's authority, which he repeats again and again, we can destroy that. We do not have to be subject to that. The enemies of our time are different. More, much more difficult than just physical enemies. It's the internal heart where the doubt and the fear and the frustration wants to take over. That does not have to live there. That can be removed. God rescues us. And the psalmist was secure and confident in his life that he would, he would be victorious. Christians today can be just as thankful as the psalmist was regardless of the circumstances they face. Whether we praise God and thank Him is not linked how well things are going. Sometimes people make a comment and say, God is good all the time. And I'm not saying that's bad. That's a good phrase to say. But is God good only in the good times? Wasn't God also good when Jesus died on the cross? Of course he was. Whether we praise God and thank him is not linked to how well things are going in this world. God is good even when life falls apart in the most difficult circumstances. Again, the story of Job comes as a reminder when he lost everything. He said, "The God has given, God has taken, may the name of the Lord be praised. You know what he was? Thanking God. And then it got worse. He got sick. And then it got even worse. And his wife said, you still believe in God, curse him and die. And he, he rebuked her. You he speak like a foolish woman. Have we not received good and shall we not receive evil? And he would not sin with his lips. He continued to be thankful. The fact of the matter is that regardless of whether life is easy or hard, whether life is good or is bad, God is constant. And we should be too. He's unchanging. Let's continue reading verse 14 and then on to 18. He says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He's given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die, instead I will live. Tell me to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but He did not let me die. It's a very comprehensive song. He's again focusing on God, he's pressing in. He's not giving up. He's depending on God, trusting in God, basing his life on God. He's anchoring on God. Our victory in Jesus has nothing to do with the early circumstances that we face. Let me repeat that. Our victory in Jesus has nothing to do with the earthly circumstances we face. Oh, yes, it's painful. Oh, yes, it's hard. But it does not have to pull us down. Our life in Jesus has nothing to do with anything this world has to offer. Our position in Christ, our attitude cannot be referenced from how things are going in this world. Because the moment we make the things of this world the focal point, we will go down. Remember the story of Peter and the boat? As long as Jesus was the focus, he stayed up above above the waves. But the moment he looked at the waves, he started sinking. Our victory is based on Jesus. Not how easy or, or how hard life is. Life should be lived that way. God is constant. He's unchanging. He's faithful. He's loving. And He's our strength. The psalmist continues. Let's continue reading verse 19. He's opened for me the gates where the righteous enter. And I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord and the God He may enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. How do you and I imagine this person who penned these words? How do we imagine the Jews who would have sung this passage? Thankfulness is a decision of the heart. It's not a condition of the bank account or social status or how well we do in society. As we are being thankful, we will be able to live in victory. It's not military strength. It's not social um, status. It's not money. It's nothing like that. The truth is it's a matter of the heart. And that's where you and I come into play. That's where we have something to say. When things look like they're not going to work out, they do work out. In fact, he he talks about that. And he kind of recaps a little bit. And he kind of brings us home a little bit in verse 22. Let's continue on. He says, the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. And it's it's wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. You're my God and I will praise you. You're my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for His good. His faithful love endures forever. I don't know what your life looks like today. Maybe not like much. Or maybe you're in the pinnacle of success. It couldn't get better. Maybe people think low of you. You don't amount to much. Or maybe you're in the, uh, you're riding the crest or somewhere in between. It doesn't matter. What does God think? That matters everything. Well, Jesus, when He walked this earth, some thought high of Him, some thought low of Him, some didn't care. And the Pharisees really looked down on him. This psalm was was valid then as it is now. And Jesus actually used this psalm to talk about himself. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And he became the cornerstone. Just imagine. Did it look like Jesus was the cornerstone he was arrested and killed? No, it did not. But we know what happened when he rose from the dead. Everything Exploded. The Jewish leaders didn't know what to do with this new group that got started. I've sometimes made the comment that of all the faiths the world has ever seen, Christianity is the most unlikely one that would have ever had a chance at success. Everything about it was wrong. crucified king, and then you serve by surrendering, you win by dying. That doesn't make sense. But all that was different because God was in it. The disciples succeeded. And one thing you'll find over and over again when you read the apostles' lives, they were thankful people. Jesus, of course, knew all this. Perhaps you're wondering this morning, why in the world such a psalm for a sermon on Thanksgiving? You see, I think too often our praise to God is so referenced from how life is working out. And we should not go there. i mean not saying we shouldn't praise, He actually prays for salvation. And it's good to pray for healing. It's good to pray for success. It's good to pray. But from what point of reference? I would say from a thankful heart. That's the point of reference. That's why we should be thankful. That's a reason to be thankful. The best we can do as human beings is surrender to God. Make the decision firm in our minds. We're going to praise God regardless of what life throws at us. We're going to be thankful, regardless of what happens to us. I want to close with this little story, and then a little story after that. When the Apostle Paul was young, he was at the pinnacle of success. He was a Jewish Pharisee, had it made, so to speak. But when Jesus got a hold of him, everything changed, and he became a suffering servant. And one day, as he and Silas, another apostle, are working as church planters in the city of Philippi, things go pretty bad. He has cast out a demon from a slave girl who's prophesying and, and um, he gets arrested. Silas gets arrested. And they get hauled before the judges and they get beaten. They get um, tortured and they're thrown in jail. And it says they were singing praises in the middle of the night in jail. Is it possible they were singing thank you songs to God? I think so. It was not based on how well life was going. In fact, uh, they should have said, we're never going to come back to this town, and this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to us, and we're such good shape, we should have never come here. And They could have said all that. But instead, they were singing praises. They were living their lives on a foundation of praise and thanksgiving toward God. And that is something no one can take away. Not even prison can take that away. Maybe you're here this morning saying, "Well, that's not my issue. I'm not being persecuted," and you're right. And thankfully, perhaps you're not. But you're still fighting. You have this battle inside you, and you don't know what to do with it. You're just not sure. You just you're just wrestling and fighting, and your situation is completely different. Recently, I listened to a short clip on um, YouTube by. Um, By uh, Dave Ramsey, and I know some people like Dave Ramsey, and some people don't like him, and some don't know what to think of him, but he's a pretty bold guy. And there was a 29-year-old woman who calls in — maybe some of you heard this one calls into the Dave Ramsey show and she needs help with her finances. And... the good thing about her was she was sincere. She's 29 years old, married to a 32-year-old guy, so they are a couple. and they're having financial problems. So Dave asked her, "How much? How much money do you owe? What's your financial problem?" She says, "Well, we owe about eight hundred thousand dollars in debt. Now, for a young couple, that's pretty steep." And Dave is kind of shocked, and he says to explain. So she says, "Well, two hundred plus on the mortgage, and uh just over three hundred thousand on student loans, and close to three hundred on credit cards and car loans and so on." Ouch! Yeah, that's a problem. And then Dave says to her, "So how much do you make?" And they had high education but that's where there were student loans and making a lot of money and she said well together me and my husband together we make about 230 a year 230,000 a year and then Dave said something which I thought hmm whatever people think of him he's right he says to the woman you don't have a financial problem you have a heart problem and then he quotes this Bible verse from Timothy he says godliness with contentment is great gain I thought wow on public radio that's pretty amazing then, of course, he went on to give her, give her pointers and guidelines how to deal with, with the mess. But what he said was, you have to change your heart. And he's right. You know what, folks? If we're going to be thankful people, the outward circumstances cannot be the point of reference from which we're going to be thankful people. We have to change the heart. Well, I can't change my heart. You can't change your heart. We have to allow Jesus to change our hearts. That's what I want my sermon to be about. We have a reason to be thankful because Jesus died. He loves us. He cares for us. He will sustain us throughout eternity. This life is very temporary. It's only for here for now. And we can serve God in this life now, worshiping and praising Him, living out our gifts, our talents, our abilities, for His glory, to each other, and there's nothing that beats that. Whether it's giving somebody a penny or a million dollars, whether it's giving somebody a glass of water or a house, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, God will reward that. But do it thankfully. So do you want to thank God? As soon as I feel like it, it'll never happen. Don't ask God to change your circumstances so much as you ask, Lord, give me a heart of thanksgiving. Then whether or not he changes the circumstances, that's a side issue. God is in the heart changing business let's ask god to change our hearts toward him so we can thank him allow him to deal with life as he sees fit yes pray when there's hardships do that but only from the point of thanksgiving for to god for what he is to us our greatest needs are not temporal they're not financial they're not social they're not physical our greatest need is a savior our greatest need is a relationship with jesus our greatest need is a relationship with god an eternal relationship where we thank Him and praise Him. My prayer is that for us as a church, we will live lives of thanksgiving. It will spill over into the lives of those we rub shoulders with. Doctors and the doctor's offices will see it. Our employers will notice it. Our fellow workers will see it. Our spouses, our children, our families will experience it. Hmm, Something's different about this person. There's an attitude of gratitude. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the Thanksgiving season in our country where we can just focus for a while on being thankful for the blessings you bestow upon us. But, Lord, it's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. What it really is about is a heart that's devoted and surrendered to you completely, that honors you and worships you and glorifies you, as the psalmist writes, because you are a God whose love endures forever. May we live that, may we see that, and may we share that. In your precious name we pray. Amen.